Hey, just real quick, if you're in Australia and still have old analog clocks, it's time to upgrade so that your swimmers can see the clock. The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is now available in Oz. They're distributed by Tim Lane in Brisbane, and I've got a special deal for you. Just email him at tim at swimnerd.com, tell him Brett Hawk sent you, and get yours today for just $7.99 Aussie dollars. So email tim at swimnerd.com and order your Swim Nerd Pace Clocks today. All right, Dan Kowalski, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Absolute honor, considering all the guests you've had prior to me. I, I feel like I'm in esteemed company today. <laughs> you, you are, mate, yes. Uh, only superstars allowed on the program. That's why you're here. <laughs> no, um, I've, I've enjoyed this, mate. You know, first of all, it just started off as a curiosity of like, you know, I just want to have some conversations and see where it goes and started off talking to um, just people that I knew in the swimming community and then it evolved into lately I've been talking to a lot of Olympic gold medalists which you are and um, you know trying to get a perspective on what makes what separates people like you you know what how how do you get to where you are how do you get to the top and um, you're certainly somebody that did that and I'm super interested in it because I never got there myself so I was I was close but never got those uh those olympic medals that we all want but you got many of them and um had good good experiences and bad experiences along the way with that so kind of want to dig into that a little bit all right yeah yes now listen we've known each other for a long time mate um uh, you're you're probably the 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 swimmer out of anyone that i've known the longest because my mom and dad have a photo of you and i and i think i talked about this on one of the podcasts before but um, there's a photo of you and I, when I was 13, I went to age yeah. nationals and I swam in a relay really? and, just, and just randomly our relay got the bronze and your relay won the gold. I don't know how that happened. Um, but, but you're in on top of the podium. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the top of the podium. I'm, I'm down here and looking up to Dan Kowalski as a little 13 year old. So we've known each other a long time, mate. Yeah, I remember uh, well, you and Matt Fernandez definitely in yeah. that team, mm-hmm. the Maruba Club. Yeah. Um, but I was from a tiny club in Adelaide. And yeah. so the fact that we were on top of a podium was really weird. And I remember two of my teammates, um, uh, Carl, he won 100 freestyle and Chris Don won 100 breaststroke. <clears throat> I didn't make any finals. Um, I came, I think it was 28th out of 32 in the 400 freestyle. So I was third wheel on that team. So the fact that we were on top of that podium was crazy to me. Even still, before coming on to talk to you today, I, I remember that vividly. Us in our horrible track suits and, and you in the equivalent red and blue, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was so bad. But it's such a great photo of just us as young kids. And um, I finished last in the 100 freestyle. So that's, uh, you know, don't feel too bad about your position in the 400 free. Isn't it crazy? And that's an amazing lesson, I think, that, you know, if you have young people listening and watching this, regardless of what they do, we get so caught up in age groups and records and so forth that, Mm. I mean, 
that's just a start, right? Mate, I see it in America. You know, we, we do clinics and, uh, and, and there's a lot of great people. We meet, we meet incredible people and very supportive parents, you know. But occasionally you'll meet, you'll meet parents that are like, okay, um, how does how's my kid get into college and um, how do they make the Olympic team? I'm like, they're 11 years old. Like, we might want to just pump the brakes a little bit, you know. But um, we, we do live in a culture these days where it is, you know, kids are specializing early, uh, very young. And we feel like um, they need to do private lessons. And, you know, we need to go all in on, on this um, track of like, all right, we're going to be a college swimmer, Olympic swimmer, whatever it is at a very young age. So tell us your background. Like, wh- how did it start for you? And what kind of things were you doing at 11 and 12? And then how did it progress? Well, we immigrated to Australia when I was five. And so straight away, my dad and I were acutely aware that, you know, swimming and sport were a massive part of, you know, Australian culture and society. So I Where'd tried you come everything. From? Uh, well, I was born in Singapore and grew up in Southeast Asia. Dad was, was mm. working over there. Okay. Um, and so as I, I went through those early years, swimming was always the foundations where my friends were. I really enjoyed the discipline of it. But, you know, I loved Aussie rules, footy. I went growing up in Adelaide, but I couldn't play it. Like I couldn't market and kick it and all that stuff love basketball tennis tried that surf lifesaving was only the real regular other than swimming that i did always reverted back to swimming because i I, you know i sucked at everything else and so i had that competitive element and and growing up in adelaide like i mentioned you know i was i was decent you know i was winning medals at state titles and stuff so Mm -hmm. for me that i think that made it a little bit easier but at at the end of the day it was just that I, i loved it um, my friends were there and it was just something that felt right to me. Yeah. So when did you, when did you really specialize and when did those other things fall away for you? Probably about 14. I remember those age nationals we just talked about and, and because two of my club mates had, had won gold medals and I'm thinking, you know, I, I felt like I worked harder than them, if, if not harder. The, the key difference for me was I, I felt that, I was far more passionate about it. Like mm-hmm. I had, I had posters on my wall of the Uncle Toby's dolphins, and my logbook was filled with, you know, photos. My my grandparents who lived in lived in Canada would send Swimming World magazine back to me, and I'd cut the pictures out, and I'd do all that stuff. You know, I was very passionate. I was enamoured with the Olympics, and so at about fourteen, when though my teammates had won the year previous, I was like, oh, I really want to take a step up. And within that year, I. I won a couple of medals at age nationals across backstroke and freestyle, made the, the trans-Tasman team um, that went to New Zealand to compete against them. And, and it sort of took off took off from there. I, you know, I've simplified it, but it, was, it, it really was a year, probably nine months where I just totally knuckled down and saw massive gains. Mate, what was your first Olympic experience in terms of watching it and remembering it and, and it having an impact on you? 84, without a doubt. I can, I can remember like it was yesterday, you know, you know, Dean Lucan in the weightlifting for some reason still just sit in the back of my mind. Glennis Nunn, heptathlon. Obviously, John Seaman in the 200 fly was a massive one. Mm. Rob, you know, Woody out in lane one in the 400 IM. Um, so all of these sort of memories along with, you know, it was very cool seeing you interview Carl Lewis a couple of months ago, like mm. his performances along with the opening and closing ceremony, I don't know if it was the glitz and the glamour, the backdrop of, 
of Hollywood being in LA there, but it was just something I was like, how the hell do I get to this thing? How old were you then? Uh, four, ten, uh, four, nine. <laughs> nine. So, so you remember nine. Yeah. I remember nine. I remember Rowdy Gaines and I remember John Seaman and those sorts of things as well. So 84 was very similar. And I just found out on Wikipedia, as I told you a minute ago, that um, I'm exactly one month older than you. I didn't realize that until right now. Yeah, I always thought that I was older than you, but um, I, I guess that explains why I have a little bit more hair left. <laughs> but I, I should get rid of it, though. <laughs> <laughs> I have it somewhere, but it's just not in all the places that I want it. But um, so. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's cool. So listen, um, one of the questions that, that I put out, I, I posed to my, my followers on Instagram, people that really are intrigued by these interviews. Um, one of the things that came back was, what type of coach did you have at that time? Did you have a coach that was pounding you? Or did you have a nurturing coach? How did you develop as an age grouper? Yeah, so his name was David James and, you know, I, I trained with Sarah Ryan and Ryan Mitchell. We were in this tiny pool in, in Adelaide and he, a lot of his, um, you know, foundation was off a lot of what Dave Salo was was doing at the time. And so um, there was a mixture of discipline, but also he was, he was young. And so uh, there was that... Um, you know, sort of older brother, sort of um, mentor kind of role as well. So um, because it was a very close-knit group and pretty small, um, you got a lot of sort of great one-on-one feedback and, and great banter between the teammates. So it was it was what I um, picture to these days to be a very small, close club group who just did everything together, you know, a bit of discipline, um, a bit of responsibility thrown on you as a young teenager, um, but we all thrived in that environment. Mate, I remember at some point, I don't know exactly when, but Dan Kowalski was the man. Like Dan Kowalski became, <laughs> he, he became the dude, you know, it was like, holy shit, this guy can swim. I mean, you were just tearing the pool up at some, some point. I don't know whether it was 16 or 17 or, or maybe even early, but at some point it was just like you were the dude. Did you recognize that there was a turning point where you were kind of starting to dominate, you know, your age? Well, yeah, like we talked about, 13, 14, um, Adam Weir was, was the man. Adam he, Weir. He I trained my, with Adam Weir. He was, he was yeah, my yeah. training. Uh, well, I didn't hang with him, but he was, yeah. he was in my squad. Yeah, so, I mean, he was miles ahead of us. And, um, and then as we got to, you know, that 16 year, that age nationals were in, were in Adelaide. Or, and, um, you know, Bill Kirby was coming along then and... Um, it, I don't know. It was just something went off, and I, I think I medaled in all freestyle and I backstroke and, and butterfly. It was it was a good year, mm. um, but you know, even still to this day, I, I never have felt as though I was a you know a part of it. Um, I always it's it's very bizarre to explain, but I always feel as though I'm not worthy or um, on a, yeah just always on the outside looking in, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I know you uh, a bit, obviously, you know, and, I, and I've always heard that come out of your mouth and I could never fully understand it because I'm not you, but I, I was always on the outside looking at you and I was always like, that's the man. Like that guy can swim. Like you had, you had everything. You had a kick, you had a pull, you had technique, you had endurance, you had speed. There wasn't anything that you were lacking. I couldn't never fully understand why you didn't have the confidence of of a killer in that sense 
Yeah, and it's probably the the biggest takeaway and learning that I got and, and the one that I would talk about is that, you know, I was as fit and prepared as possibly could be. But, you know, between the years, it was, it was not there for me. Um, and I, I, it took me a long time to probably figure out why. But um, that was the one thing that was missing. And that, that is the one thing that separates those who, who get to that upper echelon. Like we, we talk about being a gold medalist. And I say this with all due respect, I, I was in the heat of the relay. Um, and whilst I'm extremely proud to have been a part of that relay, you know, I, was, I didn't stand on that podium. Uh, I didn't start in, um, on the blocks and, and swim with those three other guys. So it's, it's a bizarre feeling to me, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I get that for sure. Um, you want to stand on the podium. I understand that. And, and, you, and you do have a gold medal. And I've coached a couple of guys that have been in similar positions, you know. And, and I don't know how I would necessarily I, – I know how I feel for them, but I don't know how they feel ultimately. You know, I think it's, it's something that you should be proud of to say that you have a gold medal because, Dan, I was on the same team as you. And like I've said to other people – I would have given my right arm to have swum in the morning on those relays and, and taken a gold yeah. medal. So, you know, I think it's a matter of perspective, but at the same time, I get it. You know, I, you want to be on that A team that swims in the final that, that earns that medal in the end. And so I understand it, but um, yeah, I, I'll leave it at that. But in terms of the, uh, the mental aspect of it, when did it really, um, when did it when did it really show its ugly head? When did you realize that that was a, a lacking in you? Where where did it show up the most? Was it the the days before? Was it the day before? Was it the day of? Was it in the ready? Was it in the warm up? Like when did it really show up? You know, for me, it was the final night of trials in in '96. Um, it was a massive massive circus because um, in the 400, uh, I had placed first, and and Mal Allen had had sort of shocked Kieran and got second. And so right. Kieran misses out on the, the individual berth, being the world record holder. And then... Um, Mal was another then, teammate of mine, by the way. Yeah, yeah. The eastern suburbs of Sydney, mate. Represent. That's it. Shout um, out. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have... Um, then he um, comes to 1500 and obviously he hasn't qualified for an individual event because he didn't get the 200 freestyle either. Um, and so it was a, a massive circus. And, you know, as it turned out, I, I won. We swam really slow, relatively speaking. Kieran comes second and, and Glenn Houseman comes third. You know, we do the press conference. It's live on Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. And in the press conference, um, you know, no questions are being asked of me at all about Kieran and, and fair enough. But I'm thinking I've got, to, I've got to warm down. I've got to do a drug test. Um, I've got to get out of there. And I, I get asked this question, what's it like to be the most hated man in the country? Mm. And as a 21-year-old kid, to be asked that question at that particular point in time, it stuck with me the rest of the campaign. Um, and I really felt like I was in a no-win situation at that particular point in time. And, yeah, it's, it, I think it reached its crescendo, probably the final of the 400 freestyle, and it just sort of played out the rest of, of the games for me in, in that particular case. Who was, who was your... Who was your go-to people at that stage? Did you have people you could lean on? Were you were you open with anybody at that point in time in terms of how you felt and your emotions, or were you just bottling them all up? No, I was all bottled up. You know, I my coach at the time, Bill Nelson, was a really 
strong character, you know, uh, a Newcastle coal mining kind of background family. Um, and so for me, I felt as though that was a weakness to, to talk about it. You know, we had a team psychologist in Clark Perry who was readily available, but again, I didn't want to show vulnerability or weakness and, and just tried to, to deal with it on my own. Um, I mean, what's there to be, you know, upset about your, your, your swimming um, on a team steeped in history and tradition, you're getting to go to the Olympic Games. It, what, there's nothing to be concerned or worried about. And so trying to deal with that on my own was one of the stupidest things that I've ever done. And, um, you know, I have a lot of regrets and that's definitely one of them. So what would you do exactly? How would you deal with it yourself? Well, I, I couldn't, I, I didn't know how to deal with it. It was, there's a lot of like anxiety and a lot of back and forth. You know, I felt like if I would win, then people would people hate me. And then if I didn't win, then I have to deal with, with that disappointment because, uh, you know, at that particular point in time, I knew that everything, everything had aligned for me. You know, Kieran wasn't swimming great and he'd be the first person to, to tell you that. Talk about how important it is to have it between, between the years. He, man, he had it. And um, obviously he showed that winning out in lane eight. But for me, it was just like a back and forth roller coaster, And I, I, didn't, I didn't cope with it and I didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah, but let's get specific, Dan. I want, I want to know exactly where this was happening. Was this happening in your hotel room? Was this happening in the pool while you were training? Like, where is this back and forward in your head happening exactly? Um, not at training. I mean, I was doing some incredible stuff before, um, before we left for Athens for our staging camp. You know, getting into that environment in Athens was probably when it started to get to the point where it was, like, becoming overwhelming because... You know, when you get into those training camps and you have people doing just amazing work and you find, you, you get in, you draw inspiration from that. You know, they could be doing some fast training sets or they could be just doing some fast time trials. And and for me, like, Kieran wasn't doing anything outstanding. And so all of a sudden I start getting really anxious because I feel like I'm, I'm doing really well. I'm sort of putting the cart before the horse um, in, in many aspects. And so you leave Athens and you, you get to the village and, and then, you know, I'm like a kid in a candy store um, being in the Olympic village and just loving this whole experience. And, and then it sort of sets in that you're actually here to do a job. Um, you're not that nine-year-old kid in your lounge room anymore. You're, 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 you're the big dog and you, you've got to get out there and do it. And winning the bronze on the first night in the tournament free was like this bonus. And I, I think it was almost like a, a, a put a, a band-aid over what I was essentially feeling. And then as the rumble started talking, you know, he won a bronze in the turn of three. He's trying to win the 1500, 400 perfect fit for him. You know, he, he can win this race. And, I, you know, I, I, I had a strict plan that I was what I was meant to do and I, I couldn't do it. You know, with yeah, but what are you, who are you listening to at this stage? I mean, you're in the Olympic Village. I know what it's like in the Olympic Village. You're pretty secluded. So what are you doing? Are you reading newspapers? Are you, how are you getting this information that this is what people are saying about you or this is what the media is saying? Well, I had a lot of friends on, say, the, the basketball team. Um, my, and so, you know, communicating a lot with other athletes from other sports and how excited they were to, to see the swimming. And so it was a lot of internal chat with just amongst the, the teammates and, and team members from, from other sports. But also, you know, it was just one of those things that I knew as well, that if I'm winning a bronze and showing speed in the tournament freestyle and, and 
primarily focusing on the 1500 meeting exactly in the middle of fauna freestyle that that's mine that race is mine there's no reason why i can't win that and you know it it, it, it didn't happen. And, and for me, that just sort of probably exasperated the way that I was feeling mentally going into, into that 1500. It was just a, you know, just a battle mentally dealing with that roller coaster ride of between heats and finals in particular. So you, you end up getting the bronze in the 400 as well. Who, who got the gold and silver? So Loder backed up after, Daniel Loder backed up after the Toronto Freestyle and Paul Palmer from... Um, Great Britain got the <clears throat> got the silver. And so you see that as a disappointing swim. Were, were you? Did you warm up badly? Did you? Uh, were you nervous behind the blocks? Like when? When did it become a disappointing swim? Um, it's funny. I all of my warm ups at the Olympics were were horrible. Um, were they really? Yeah, they were. They they were not good. Why? Like what was going on? I just, I, I wasn't, I, I, other than the trying to freestyle, I wasn't, I, I just never felt great in the water. I always felt a little bit sluggish. And is um, that, is that just pressure? You think, you think that's just like looking th- back, do you think it's pressure? I, I think so. Um, and again, I've touched on it a couple of times. It's, it's the mental thing, right? I just was not strong enough mentally. I, I was more worried about all these other factors that, uh, you know, impacted my personal performance. Yeah, but I don't think this, I don't think people understand this, Dan. This is what I want to get to. I want to really dig into this because people ha- who haven't necessarily experienced this or haven't come to terms with this, the mental side of it can have a physical effect on you, right? Like it can change the way you feel. Um, what what you end up doing is feeling heavy. You know, mm-hmm. you look at you look at um, anxiety. What the, what are the symptoms of anxiety? What are the what are the results of, of when you ha- when you're anxious? And it ends up being that you're, you're changing what's happening physically. You don't feel good. And, um, and that has an effect on everything athletically going forward then, right? Yeah, I always remember between heats and finals and, and being in our, our dorm rooms. And I felt like the adrenaline was continually rushing through me the whole time. I, 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 was, good. I, was, I was not very good at just trying to just switch off and, and just be in the moment and, mm. and, and really relax. Um, yes, and so, thank you. Thank you. That's yeah. what I wanted to hear right there. That, yeah. That's exactly what people need to hear because you're right. I've experienced that myself where you're just constantly feeling like you're in this state of readiness for something. But the, the longer you extend that, the, the more it's like you can't, you can't pump adrenaline 24 hours a day. And if you're in this state of just like readiness, you're pumping adrenaline. By the time you come through that, you're completely fatigued. Yeah. You know, and I think that was definitely, definitely one issue for me that, you know, I, I did not prepare for, mm. um, you, you know, prepare for so many things. Like there's a lot of walking that needs to be done in Olympic village. So I was doing a lot of walking between the sessions back home. Um, you know, there's going to be times when it's loud outside your door or outside the building. So you've got to be prepared for disrupt sleep and find ways in which you can, you know, calm yourself down and get back to sleep. But that period of time between heats and finals and, you know, going through all that, I just did not, did not prepare for that because it's another world. Um, and they still and don't do it, Dan. They still don't do it. Like they, they, we still are going to Olympic Games and we're preparing physically and we're not preparing mentally for the moments of, of time. Like the time between a semi-final and a final is death. 
Like I, yeah. I, I used to struggle. I used to struggle going to breakfast that morning and consuming food. Yeah. People don't, they don't prepare you for that. Like, Hey, you got, you might have trouble eating your breakfast in the morning because you're so anxious or you're so nervous or you're just ready to go or whatever it is. People don't talk about that stuff. And yet we spend hours and hours preparing these athletes physically. And then yeah. they get to this moment where their body freezes and they're like, oh, what happened? <laughs> what do you think happened? I mean, the whole world's yeah. watching me right now, you know? Yeah. And, and the irony, it doesn't take any extra hard work or it's just, mm. it's a, I'm imagining it's a very simple process. You just got to practice it and do it. But oh, yeah. You've got to identify it just like we are right now, yeah. you know, and what you yeah. just did there, what you said about even just not being able to switch off and be in the moment, like you're always thinking ahead. You're always thinking like, oh, the 400s tomorrow kind of thing, yeah. whatever it is. Um, even just talking about it, I think, changes things you know recognizing identifying it and then saying yeah that's going to happen like believe yep. me it's going to happen to you which makes you look at those people who year after year who just nail it every time when it counts you mm. know just that secret ingredient whatever that is however they do it bottle that amazing yeah. Yeah. yeah you're right and that's kind of why i'm talking to olympic champions and and people that have meddled and even people that have meddled who feel like they, they could have done better, you know, and um, you're, you're a prime example of that. We're going to learn from this, Dan. And, and that's going to be your gift to everybody else is that, hey, the Olympics is next year and people are going to be watching this podcast and learning from you. And, and when they're in that experience of like, okay, I'm 24 hours out. I remember Dan Kowalski talking about this and I've practiced this and I've talked about this with my coach. You're going to have an impact on people. And that's where you, this is where you're going to make, you're going to be the most valuable to the future swimmers, Dan. Um, I yeah. think this is incredible what you're talking about. It's so valuable. So thank you for doing that. Um, so you, you have this 400 experience and it doesn't go your way. And then after that, what happens, what happens then? Well, I'm seeking personally an element of redemption. Um, but more than anything, I, I want to be a part of the amazing history of Australians who have won 1500 freestyles. So, so you put in that pressure on yourself too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, because you know, that race in, 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 I was in the heat in 1989 in December at the Commonwealth Games trials in Adelaide when Glenn Houseman unofficially broke the world record. Mm. And I had like a 125, 150 to go. And then he obviously goes on and wins Commonwealth Games, just misses the world record. Kieran breaks 15 minutes coming second. And then obviously everything sort of snowballs from there you know kieran second at worlds and then breaks world records wins olympic gold medals and i you know i want to be a, be a part of this these are these are my heroes and so you know going into that heat i wanted to to make a statement and um you know up until you know the last heat i was the fastest qualifier and then i'm you know i'm warming down um and paul hardman one of the team coaches you know sort of comes up to me and he's like giving me an update on the time. He's like, you know, Kieran's coming fifth in his heat. Doesn't look like he's going to make the final. Mm. And then so part of me is like, oh, you know, because no one had been um, consistently under 15 minutes like we had been in the, in the previous two years, two, three years. So I'm thinking, oh, this is, this is good. This is looking good. And then I get out and get out of the pool, sorry, and 
you know, I see the, the results and I'm in lane four and he's in lane eight and, and straight away I'm like, oh, I've got a problem here. I've got a big problem. <laughs> and um, it sort of all kind of goes pear-shaped from there, you know, for me in terms of the preparation that I thought I would have for about 36 hours, just just threw it out the window because mm-hmm. mentally I'm going, how am I going to, he's in lane eight, I'm in lane four. You got to remember for probably two, three years, you know, if he wasn't in lane four and I wasn't in lane five and I was in lane six or lane three kind mm. of thing, it was yeah. always there. Right there. I always say I was, I, I was a good swimmer. I wasn't a great swimmer. So Shut the going, front door, Dan. But, you know, when we're talking about this level, right, if, if we're being honest, I should be able to dive in that pool, swim those 30 laps and not worry about what's happening around me. But I just did not have... That doesn't mean that you're not ability. a good swimmer because you, you were an amazing swimmer. You had some, yeah, but, you had yeah. some mental issues like, like I did. Look, I, I had the same stuff, Dan. I raced against Alexander Popoff and I always just presumed that, hey, these guys are better than me. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I got to race these guys, but ultimately I'm looking at Popoff. I'm like... I, I don't look like that. Like that's an incredible specimen, you know? So it's like, yeah, I, I, I'm the same, same way as you, you know? So, but it doesn't mean that I wasn't a great swimmer. It doesn't mean that you weren't, you were one of the most beautiful swimmers I've ever seen in my life, Dan. So let's put it, let's, let's make it straight. Right. Yeah. I guess it's just the way that I saw it. Yeah. And it gets back to that thing of never really feeling like I was belong there or mm. was a part of this. Um, and you know, it's, it, it's a different story these days it, it mm. took me a while to get to that point but um yeah. that's just the way i felt mm. yeah 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 so i mean we we all know the story and if you don't know the story of the 1500 you know we, we know the way it went but um i'm i'm more interested in um the ready room i'm more interested in walking out to the blocks i'm more interested in taking your sweats off uh, all right, give me give me those moments. Talk me through the ready room. Talk me through walking out to the blocks. What's what's going on in those moments? When you talk about night and day, the tournament freestyle final on on night one. It's the last event. Um, I'm in I'm in lane seven. Um, I'm the only Australian in the final. You know, you walk out and I, I feel like there's so many Australians out there. there there's not. <laughs> um, we had hardly any teammates there. And I'm thinking this is the best experience ever. You know, they start the introduction in, um, you know, French and then English. And I'm thinking, holy crap, this is, this is exactly as I remember as that nine-year-old kid and I'm actually doing this now. And, you know, I took an empty backpack out there. I don't even know why I took my backpack out, but that was a, like a big thing in my head. Like, what am I going to do with this backpack? And I just took my clothes off and stood up on a block and said, have fun, concentrate on the little things, which is pretty much what I'd said to myself pretty every time from about the age of 15, 16, when mm. things started to sort of flip. And then you fast forward to the 1500, go into to the ready room. I remember putting my suit on and I'd watched um, Susie and Patria come first and second in the turn of fly. So I was super pumped having seen that and walk into the ready room. And that's sort of when I was like, mm, this is different. Um, you know, Kieran is, in, Kieran is in lane eight, I'm in lane four. Whilst we didn't necessarily talk to one another a lot in the ready room, I guess it was that comforting factor. It was like, okay, it's us two, Australia against against the world kind of thing. And I took comfort f- from that. Um, so you didn't and, warm up together fun. and you didn't, you didn't walk to the ready room together. You just kind of met in the ready room. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't even think I ever 
ever walked to the ready room with anyone else. No, I, I mean, I, I mean, I've seen other countries do that. Like, they you know, together, I, I, yeah. I've been, I've been part of the Brazilian team where they, they won't warm up together, but they'll at least walk together sometime or yeah. the Americans will walk together. And I just didn't know whether you and Kieran, uh, actually, I did know you certainly didn't walk together, but I wanted to confirm that you didn't walk together. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. <laughs> and that's not to say that, like, for any other reason other than he got ready the way he did and I got ready the, the way yeah. I did. But walking into that room and, you know, him being in lane eight and me being in lane four, it was just a very, very different feeling to me. Are you, at, are you sitting level. down on chairs or are you standing up or what's happening? That is, that there's mixture. There's a mixture of both. There's people sitting, there's people standing. You know, you go to the back of the room to, to swing your arms. You know, we're getting to the last two events after this, the, the two relays. So there was almost an element from what I remember of packing up, you know, people love the officials and volunteers have been there for two weeks straight. Probably they're like, we're getting out of here after tonight. And so oh, okay. um, it was, it was kind of a, a um, a different ready room with that included. Um, and then when they're like, oh, let's go, and you walk out compared to. Hang on, hang on, wait time. a sec, wait before you get there. Are you, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to pull this apart, Dan. Um, are you mentally tired at that stage or are you still mentally fresh? And, and what are the things you're, you're, what's the self talk that's going on? The self talk is, I don't want to be there. Really? I do not want to be there. Mm. I, this is when I wanted to be that nine-year-old kid again because there's no pressure. There's no expectation there. There is just the, the exhilaration of watching people do it. Um, and that's where the dream started, right? And now the dream is actually happening and it's like, ah, it, feel, it, feels like a, it feels like a nightmare. It feels like an absolute nightmare, which is, you know, on reflection was really disappointing that uh, that's the way it turned out to be at the point in time. Nowadays, I'm like super proud of that. But um, I, I remember just up, down, swinging arms, fiddling goggles. Are they going to break? You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, swimsuit, they're all good. Like if I had have had to do big races in those swimsuits that came out like 2009 through to, mm. you know, I would have been, that's going to rip, this is going to break, whatever. So from that point of view, there was a lot of fidgeting, which is a clear sign that I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Okay. okay. That, that's good. You know, I, I appreciate the honesty there and I, and I appreciate you kind of digging into that a little bit because it's easy to gloss over and just say, Hey, I was there and then I was here and then I was there, but like what's actually happening because that is so vital to, to anybody that's going to go to the Olympics next year. These things are going to happen. And these, these thoughts I mean, ultimately, you get to choose what you think. I, I think mm -hmm. a lot of the times we think that we can't control our thoughts, but you can absolutely control your thoughts. And what you're thinking then was in your control and you're, you're thinking negatively. You're choosing to think negatively at that point in time. Yeah, that, that, and that fear and what that brings with it, um, you know, is, is something that was easily controllable. But like you said, that, that was what I chose to think about. Um, because you're untrained and you're young and, and they yeah. just kind of threw you through to the wolves kind of thing of like, go get them. Yeah, you, you know, we had the resources available to us. If we wanted to tap into it, we could tap into it. Sure. But, you know, for, for a reason at that point in time, I chose not to stupidly. Yeah. But I also think that, yeah, I agree. Sure. There's people there, but like, come on, like, 
you know what you want. We, sh- we as coaches should know what you're walking into. If you don't know what you're sending your athletes into, then you have no fucking idea what you're doing. Like, get a grip. Like, you're sending your athletes into a lion's den, you know, of like, good luck. And, and we should know that as coaches. And we have to be proactive. It's not good enough just to say, I physically prepared you for that moment. That's not good enough. You've got to mentally prepare your athletes for the moments where you're facing off, where you're sitting in chairs. There's, there's no reason why you can't rehearse that. Of say, yeah. okay, well, we're going to walk into the ready room today. I used to do this with Ian Pope. Ian Pope did this with us uh, at Melbourne Vic Center. And he was smart. He'd say, okay, we're going to have a race day and we're going to line up in the ready room and we're going to, move, we're going to sit in chairs and we're going to move forward. And when it's your time to go, we're going to come out and we're going to race. We would rehearse this, Dan, and it, it's rehearsable. That's what I'm saying is it's not good enough just to say you're physically ready go get them son you know yeah well you're almost wasting all that physical and all the output that you put into that particular performance by not being ready mentally mm-hmm. i mean i could have done 70 exactly. percent of the work and you know exactly. and been switched on mentally and it could have been a more enjoyable experience and i agree 100 percent. so there you go so i agree so then you're you're standing in line i guess i imagine there's a there's a point where you're where you're about to walk you line up and you're about to walk out to the blocks i mean you're you're having some really bad thoughts at that stage right yeah like I, come on let's just get it done please <laughs> I, I really really want to be done i okay. really want to be done so then you yeah. walk out to the blocks it is is there what what what's the what's the physical What's the physical things that are happening inside your body as you're walking out or even standing behind the blocks? You know, that, that butterfly feeling, the adrenaline that's almost like sapping. Mm. Um, that's, that's what I'm feeling. But the biggest difference, um, the amount of Australian flags in the crowd that night was, was incredible. Um, and obviously they're on a high because the event before we get, we get first and second. Um, and obviously the majority of the team, other than the eight relay swimmers are done. So you have a heap of athletes from other sports on the, from the Australian team in the crowd as well. And it, I, it may as well have been at home. It, so you're, you're, like you're taking everything in then. You're, you're seeing everything then. You're not oh, in yeah. the zone. Oh, yeah. I am guilty 100% of being one of these athlete to i'm like oh look there's so-and-so oh look, there's so-and-so and, so. and <laughs> oh, oh, look at that person in lane three they look really good you know I'm... <laughs> damn damn uh, that's that's who who i am and you know it, it uh I, I i can say now I, I wouldn't change a thing to be honest with you you know, it's, well, I mean, you could, you could train it differently and you could prepare differently for sure. But yeah, you are who you are and you're, you, look, the, the, the ultimate thing I want you to take from this is you're one of the most incredible athletes I've ever seen. So you're, you're a freak athlete, not in the terms of that you just had natural gifts, that you, you maximized your gifts. And I loved, you were a purely beautiful swimmer. And I want you to understand that. Like, that's from my perspective. You were a gorgeous swimmer and you could, you had range. I mean, you're the only swimmer at that stage in history to win medals in the 2-4 and the 15 in Olympic history. I mean, it's crazy, Dan, to, to think that you, you had that type of range and you had that ability. So don't ever tell me that you weren't uh, a beautiful swimmer. You were, you were one of the greatest of all time. So 
Um, just because you didn't beat Karen Perkins at the Olympic Games doesn't mean you're a bad swimmer. I mean, we're talking about another freak of nature. So um, you're both in that category. But but ultimately, so then as as you dive in and, I mean, you notice straight away that it's it's not happening? I often say that, you know, when when you're in the zone in that 1500, it, it, it's like one continuous lap. You know, you, you don't notice that you're doing 30 separate laps. So I dive in um, over the first hundred, you know, the way in which Kieran had essentially taught me how to swim that race is we, we try to break the backs of our competitors early. You know, he's splitting 56, 55, maybe. I'm not as quick, but we're, we're out, we're out front. And so I'm out front, but I can't see anything. <laughs> you know, I'm trying my damnedest to, to look over to, to lane eight and I, I can't see that far over. Mm. Um, and so I'm swimming in this no man's land, which for me was such a bizarre concept because there was always that hip right in, in front of me mm. that I could see. And so here I am in my head, I'm like, this is the Olympic final. I cannot see a soul. And I don't know, I just didn't back my ability and all the training that I'd done just to get into pilot mode and go. And so every lap was like, oh, 27, 26, 25. And I'm trying for the first, you know, good 300 to have a look, can't see. And then it, um, getting, trying to get into a rhythm, just really struggling with, with that rhythm. And it was, it was, it was like I'd, I'd, I'd forgotten what, what I was meant to be doing. You know, the, the amount of times in training that I'd thought about this particular moment and it was not how I remembered it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that was, that was kind of troubling, you know, lane four Olympic final and um, yeah, you're not where you think you are is, is concerning. And then Graham Smith catches up to me in lane five and I'm thinking, Oh, and, um, you know, I, I knew in my head that lane eight was probably way in front. Um, let's just try to get, try to, try to get a one, two again, sort of thing. Um, and then Graham is, is starting to move away from me. Um, and at that point in time, he, he had not broken 15 minutes yet. Um, and so it was this internal struggle just to keep up with him. How did you know uh, Karen was ahead then? Um, I just sensed it. I didn't know, but I, I sensed it. Like, um, I, I, we all know what, for those in the swimming world, what a competitor he is. Mm. Um, and, you know, he, he'd been there. He'd done it, you know. Um, and for him to have a bad swim is still a good swim on the world stage, right? He's still, what, 10 seconds quicker than, than or 12 seconds quicker than I'd ever been. So for him to have a bad swim, it's still on the a great swim for mm. the rest of us and so i just I, I i just sensed that he was he was out there mm. um and then yeah the, the the battle with with graham over the you know the last sort of third of the race was was tough but i also thrived on that because i had that person there right so i could sort of use that almost like you're it's it's a hare and a you know greyhound race kind of thing it was it was right there sort of pacing me and um, I really had to dig deep that last 150 um, just to be able to, to match him at the end. And I think it was five 100s in the end. And then I turn around and I, I look at the, the scoreboard and it was, it, you know, it was a very, very hollow feeling, 15.02. Um, 
you know, six weeks before the games, Bill Nelson had had me had me do this set, um, and I dived and went fifteen fifteen in in a fifteen hundred in training. So to see that time was it was kind of demoralising to see the the number. It was demoralising. Um, sort of the only good takeaway was to see the one next to Kieran's name because, you know, it's always great to, to see Australia up there and, you know, for him to go back to back like that, considering how much I'd struggled in, in, in one games and then being able to hold it through, all these things sort of went through my mind. Um, but again, I just wanted to, I, I wanted to, to, to get out of there. Yeah. I just wanted to um, sort of put it, put it behind me. Um, you know, and the disappointment obviously leads with you for, for quite a while. Um, so it wasn't as simple as that. So were you feeling humiliation uh, on the podium? No, I never felt humiliated. Um, I, I felt very much like I'd let a lot of people down. I felt as though I had, I had failed um, because um, it, was, it was all there for me, really. And it was all within my grasp and in my control. And I, I thought of all those things that I had done to get to that particular point. And the one time that I needed to do it, I felt like I didn't, I didn't do it. And so what was the point of having done all that hard work and made all the choices that I, I chose to make to get to that point? You know, thinking back and, and those training things that you do, I, I didn't do them. And I, you know, I don't know why I didn't do them. Um, what do you mean training things? Well, you know, getting in, 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 in terms of, you know, doing sets and stuff in training and, you know, going through that process of, you know, this is, this is what it feels like to, for me, what it feels like, what it sounds like, you know, technically to swim at this speed for this period of time. All that sort of was thrown out the window because I, I almost, what's, um, you know, the, the, the sound and the cadence on my stroke rate was was one thing that I, I, I frequently frequently used um, to maintain the rhythm and, and the speed and all that sort of stuff. That was what worked for me and I, I, did, I didn't do it. I, I, it's, I, I didn't do it. So looking back, you think if you had of, um, had, had, a, had the confidence and had the, the, the even just the self-talk, if you, if you had have just had different self-talk and you had have been excited for that race and ready for it, physically you were ready to win. Is that what you think? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good, good, good. All right. Well, that makes sense then. Well then, then you can't, you can't be, um, you know, you can't say that you, you're not a good swimmer. If you're physically ready to win the Olympic games, you, you, you're a great swimmer. You know, there was obviously some, some mental things lacking, but in terms of the swimming, you have to at least give yourself credit to say that you're one of the most beautiful athletes in history in terms of being in a position to win a gold medal, right? Yeah. And over time, I, 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 I could see that, but at the time and place, um, you can't because you, you went there to, to do one thing and you didn't do it. So it, it took a fair while to, to come to terms with that. And, you know, there was, you know, the period between 96 and 2000 was a, a really trying time, you know, personally. So it, it wasn't until I'd well and truly retired and sort of 
moved away from that aspect of the sport that I was able to sort of sit down and, and reconcile with the fact that what I achieved was something that I'm extremely proud of um, and was extremely proud of. But for, for that point in time, it, it was it was a failure. It was a disappointment. Do you think if it wasn't Karen Perkins, if it wasn't an Australian, let's say it was a, you know, an Englishman or a German or an American, um, do you think it would have been, you, you would have been able to kind of overcome that? Or do you, do you think it, at that stage it didn't matter who it was? No, it didn't matter who it was. I think if anything, the fact that it was an Australian made it easier um, because it, it, it kept, you know, the tradition and the history going, um, you know, for him to, to win back to back was massive. So but I, I think that was an, made, it, made it easier. So you never hated, you never really hated Kieran Perkins then? No, I never hated a single competitor. I have. Don't worry, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> nah, life, life, assuming life is too short to hate, well, for me, you know, but you need to remember, like, for, for most of my career, the only people who beat me were Australians. Yeah, yeah. Like, I couldn't even go to the Gold Coast country championships and win a gold medal you know so it, it, that i mean so that was a that was a great thing yeah that was a really great thing um all right good well let's get past that um one of the most impressive things that 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 you know that i remember of you is that you had you know really de- debilitating shoulder injuries at one point i think in the lead up to sydney 2000 and i remember there was a an extended period of time where you really couldn't take a stroke and i and even think that they were you know asking you to to get surgery on your shoulders and you'd postpone that and you were just kicking for an extended period of time like talk to me about that that point in time yeah so the the period between um atlanta and and sydney i I go to the AIS for a period of time because Bill Nelson retires and I pick Canberra because I feel like that is the best place to manage, manage the shoulders. You know, at the end of the day, that was not the environment for me. Um, regardless of the, the medical support I was getting, I felt like I needed to be in a better environment. So I, I came back to the Gold Coast and, and started working with Dennis again. But at, at this point... Dennis Cottrell, right? Yeah, sorry, Dennis Cottrell. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the shoulders were, you know, it was a, a hanging on by a thread, so to speak. And, you know, I ended up having a surgery in 99 and pulling out a pen. But managing that um, to get the work under my belt between pan packs and, and trials was, was extremely difficult. Um, it literally was swim for a period of time, typically about six weeks, cortisone, um, kick for a few weeks build up to being able to swim again, quarter zone. It was, that was a cycle from about September 1999 to what, September 2000. Um, it was just being able to manage what I could. So the only kind of plan that Dennis and I could come up with was trying to get to a point where we could do, you know, 200 speed work and then try to have enough endurance in the bank so that I could last, you know, the four laps for at least trials, um, which ultimately being a heat semi and final was was going to be was going to be really difficult. So, you know, there there are weeks where it was sixty k and it was just kick. Um, mm, with sixty k, 
with a snorkel on. Um, mm. And and that was really that was really difficult. But at that point in time, you know, you've you got Grant who um, when I left Dennis in the first place back in '94, I was lapping, and then I come back in '99 and I'm getting lapped. Um, yeah, so you, you leave you leave you leave Kieran Perkins and you end up with Grant Hackett. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you've got Jan who Jan Rooney who's coming on in in leaps and bounds um, in freestyle in particular at that point in time as well as the backstroke. Um, and so there was a couple of young guys there as well. Um, so it was a really good core group of people. So doing the 60K was really easy, you know, um, even though it was just snorkel, kick and, and all the rest of it. Um, I was still a part of something. And, and for me at that point in time, that's what I wanted to be. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I, I remember that. You were just kicking, 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 kicking. And then all of a sudden you go to the Olympic trials and make the Olympic team. But, but the kicking was, uh, you know, at times, talk to us, Chris, a lot of, a lot of swimmers end up with injuries and, and it's, and it's mentally draining to say, Hey, you're going to kick for an extended period of time. So how do you stay engaged in the process of, Hey, this kick is going to make me, you know, make me better or at least help me get to where I want to be. Well, first and foremost, you know, we're going into a situation where the Olympics are in our home country. Mm. Um, and so that in itself was a big enough drive for me to just suck it up and, and deal with it and, and do all the little things that I, that I needed to do. Secondly, I was, you know, at this point in time, I'm getting psychological help. I'm, I'm meeting with a psychologist on a regular basis. Mm. And I, a big thing for me was being able to go to the Olympics and truly enjoy the whole experience, not just elements of it. Um, and so that was that was a massive drive. You know, I was a part of that relay that broke the world record at Commonwealth Games in 98, and we won in Perth at Worlds in 98. So, you know, I wanted to to be a, be a part of that for the Olympics. I, I could see an incredible group of swimmers lined up, all vying for that, and I, I wanted to I wanted to be a part of that. So those three things made it really easy to, to, mm -hmm. to do that sort of kick stuff. Okay, cool. Now, listen, you had some incredible coaches. Um, tell run it. You know, my, my listeners love sets. They love to hear from the best in the world about, you know, a set that they've done in particular. Give us something from memory that you did because you were renowned as one of the, the, the best trainers um, in the world, including, you know, Grant, will, Grant Hackett will say that Kieran Perkins will say that about you that Daniel Kowalski could do some workouts. So give us one, man. Yeah, the, probably the, the most noticeable was Dennis uh, Cottrell gave me 10 400s, long course on 420. Um, I held them all under 405. Um, and and you, you talk about being like in, in the zone. That was, that was, that was it, man. That was 94. I was just like, that was so easy. <laughs> Um, so there's, there's definitely that one. And then the one about six weeks out from the Olympics, Bill Nelson had me do, I had to do a 500, a thousand and a 1500. And I had to go under 505. I had to go under 1010 and I had to go under 1515. Mm. And I went 504, 1009 and, um, 1515. Wow. Um, and so I, I kind of knew that 
you know, if they gave gold medals to training, man, I would just be absolutely yeah. loaded. Yeah. I love training. I love training. I love the, the challenge of it, but I also love just being in your own little world and, and doing that thing. Loved it. That's awesome, man. That's incredible. Great, great stuff. Um, I'm going to cut that up and people are going to eat that up because <laughs> no, no one, no one can do that. That's nuts. Um, listen, I'm sitting here today and, and I've just seen the news that, um, uh, Greg Paltorini from, from, uh, from Italy, Olympic champion in the 1500, has has just swum a time, I think it's the second fastest time in history. He's just gone 1433 in the 1500, um, just just today uh, at a meet. And obviously, you know, we're, we're all we've all been in a state of kind of quarantine and and uh, for for many months. So there's no way that he's been doing the training that that he's normally been doing. Um, what do you think about all this? What do you, what do you think? Do you think that we overtrain? Do you think we do too much? Like what, what's your opinion on it now looking back? Well, that is incredible for one yeah. um, that he's done that. Yeah. I, I have been thinking a lot about it lately. Just, you know, hopping on the swimming sites and seeing people are racing and times that they're doing from age group to, to open level. And yeah, it, it makes you think, uh, you know, do we overemphasize in the sport of swimming that training? Um, and does the body need more rest over a longer period of time without a doubt? And it'd be curious to know what people have done in the period of time, like for Greg being in, in, in Italy and them having imposed lockdowns very early on, mm. you know, what was he doing um, on, on dry land or was there something that he added to his dry land training that he wasn't doing previously? Like, mm. cause that, <laughs> that is, that is absolutely incredible. Um, to be able to dive in and, and do that. So, yeah, I, I have been thinking a lot about that and the, the period of rest over a longer period of time, without a doubt. Well, guess what, Dan? People aren't going to know this until this episode comes out, but I've got Greg on the podcast tomorrow. I lined it up a week ago. So, uh, perfect timing on that one. So, I'm going to ask him what he was doing because uh, I'm fascinated. You know, it's just, uh, it's incredible. But, um, this has been good. I, I appreciate it. I, I actually had a really busy day and, and I just remembered about 30 minutes before um, we were, we had scheduled this podcast that we were going on and I had nothing in my head and this has turned out awesome. So I really appreciate, <laughs> I really appreciate um, you digging into that a little bit. Um, you know, I'm fascinated with performance ultimately and, and how we get the best out of ourselves and then, um, you know, times of struggle as well. And I think there's so much to learn from that. Uh, was there a time where, where, uh, you know, things clicked for you or when you were swimming your best, when you felt like you just had your best swims, what was going on for Dan Kowalski? Well, there was, there, uh, first and foremost, there's no pressure, right? Um, I'm swimming in an event where the Olympic champion and, and world record holder is, is in my backyard. And so, just chasing that um, was was easy because um, I could just do it and no one would really care. I was just another one trying to nip at the heels of, of Kieran and, and, and Glenn. And so I think that was that was when it was carefree and, and easy. Um, and also I'd gone from an environment in Adelaide where whilst it was a tremendous training environment, it wasn't the all-encompassing training environment that probably an elite athlete needed. So going from there to, to Dennis on the Gold Coast, I was then in an environment that was 
you know, a far more professional, so to speak, than what I'd previously been in. So you're going to make gains based on that as well. So all those things combined really contributed to, to 94 being just a, a, a bumpy year, as we'd say, because it just, it all seems so effortless. Yeah. Mate, uh, you've got some first-hand perspective on this. We, we all know about Kieran, what made him great, but you actually trained with Grant Hackett and you saw him come up and, and you competed against him as well. And there was a period of time, I think it was about, I think it was nine years where he didn't get beat in the 1500. How is that possible? Give us, give us some insight into Grant Hackett. What made him special? What, hit, what made him great? Well, I think that one of the biggest things was his attitude towards his training. Like he was relentless. Um, you know, he could, he could do things in the training pool um, which I, made me look ordinary. Um, particularly that speed stuff. He, you know, he, he could easily just push 51 at the end of a, a 3,100 heart rate set. But the, he was so hard on himself. The amount of times that he would punch the wall or he'd throw his pool boy or, and, or, or do something, I was always worried he would sort of, you know, smash his, his arm or his wrist or something. But the biggest thing I found was he was, and, and you would know this having been a teammate, he was a joker. Like the guy is a funny guy. Mm. He never really took things too seriously until it came to, um, came to you know the racing. Winning or losing. Then was, yeah, yeah. E- even then he was really you know sort of laid back about it. You know, eating cereal in the middle of the night at some points was far more important to him than anything else life would throw at him. He's you know that kind of guy, and so I find you know looking back at it, he had that real balance of you know enjoying having fun but then switching on when he when he really really needed to and he's a massive student of the sport like he can rattle off times and statistics and placings and and history and um and so it was he phenomenal you know absolutely phenomenal but when he was younger he was a troublemaker man he would always end up in in my lane because you know, Dennis or our assistant, Raylene, had enough of him. And they're like, you're getting punished. You're, you're going to join Daniel in, in the distance lane. And that's when I would lap him. And, and um, But you could see very early on, 14, 15, you know, this kid's going to be good. Really? Be real. Yeah. 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 He really, he really hated to lose. That's what I know about him. You know, he hated to lose. Um, and, and that was pretty evident in, in training as well. 100%. So, you know, we had this environment where Kai Hurst um, mm. swam 10K in, in Beijing and London, Ironman, um, now an incredible um, sailor. Well, I can't remember exactly. I think he's a grinder on, on, mm. on the sailing. Um, so him and Gian would be really good at kick sets. Um, Kai would be really good at pull sets. Um, and Grant would always be like, hammer a gate just to be able to keep up with them in a kick set and then hate again, hate losing same with the pool set. And obviously when he put it all together, he was, um, and one of the things I loved was we, it wasn't something we consciously did, but, um, or organized, we would all try to pick our moments to keep him honest because we knew what he was going to be capable of doing. And I really enjoyed that. Like, um, you know, it's sets of one fifties. Dennis used to love giving us sets of one fifties and I used to love that distance and, try to try to push him as, as much as I possibly can. And, you know, if there was a time when you may beat him or something, you know, you left early or, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, extremely competitive. 
Uh, you bring up a good point though. I've, I've actually tried to get Dennis Cottrell on the podcast and he's, uh, he's denied me a couple of times. We're, we're good friends, but he, he, I just don't think he likes to talk publicly in that sense. But tell me what makes Dennis Cottrell great? I mean, what, probably the greatest distance coach in history, but what, what made him great? Um, I, I really loved how eccentric he was. Um, and I, he, he, he wasn't afraid to like play around and, try things out of left field obviously there was foundations that say for example you know bob trafine and mr carew with the work they are doing with with heart rate sets but um you know dennis would sort of you know extend on those or switch them up a little bit you know a lot of that short rest stuff that we did he you know he was never scared to to take risks and you know if it didn't work then go back to drawing board kind of thing um Technically, he was he was fantastic. Um, you know, that was probably the biggest change that I saw moving from Adelaide to to the Gold Coast was what I, what he was able to do with me technically. Um, he was very very good at being able to communicate that as well, which I think was was really important. And there was a, a balance between you know joking and having fun and 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 being serious. And I think all those things combined. Um, you know, made him the, the coach that, that he is. You know, he coached Andrew Bowden, first guy under under 50 for 100 free, and then put myself to under 15 minutes for 1,500. So his versatility was was incredible as well. He's coached Grant Hackett and even Sun Yang for, for an extended period of time. Is there, Did he have a couple of go-to sets? I mean, did you repeat sets throughout the season or was it, was it always different? No, we, we obviously to to benchmark and to get a sense of where we were, we would, we would repeat sets, you know, Monday mornings were typically aerobic, um, 300s or 400s, you know, um, Monday nights were typically um, either short rest or sort of pace work. You know, one of the sets that we did quite frequently, which to this day is still my least favorite set. And if I, if I saw it today, I'd probably, get in the fetal position and, and cry it was um, 30 50s dive start on, on 130 basically all all flat out um, okay. yeah yeah um, what would you and, hold and that for was those? quite common that was quite common uh, I probably about 26s mm-hmm. you know and you know we talk about grant like grant 25 you know a few 24s in there like incredible but you, that was quite we would do that at a distance camp um, that Mr. Carew would, would run. So, you know, that was um, fairly common and well-known, you know, at least down here for, for distance training. Mm. Um, we never did a lot of long stuff with Dennis. Um, mm. uh, you know, 400 was kind of the max. And, you know, meterage-wise, very rare to go over 80,000. Um, a week? Uh, a week, yeah. A lot of it was just high-end sort of stuff. Mm. Interesting, man. I didn't. I didn't know that. Uh, that's good to know, actually. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> um, well, listen. Uh, this has been fascinating. Uh, um, I always, I always like to leave my friends with any any questions you got for me, mate. What do you want to know? Do you know? Not so much. I want to know. Do you remember we roomed together at the training camp for Sydney, Caloundra, and I wasn't doing a lot of work. I was kicking a lot and. You were doing what you required to do. <laughs> what hot showers? Um, yeah, <laughs> but 
you were polishing off like two family blocks of chocolate a night. <laughs> Was I really? No, oh. I don't remember, but I love chocolate, man. I still love chocolate to this day. And I, 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 um, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, how, how is he doing this? And you know, and I was ripped a, too. There was not an ounce of fat on you. And I would just look at food at that particular point in time. And I'd be like, oh, you know, there's, there goes a skin fold kind of thing. But <laughs> do you still do that today? I, I do. Yeah. It's, it's criminal how much I eat, you know, and how bad I eat. Look, I'm not, I don't have the, I don't have the, the 4% body fat that I had back then. It's more around the 20% these days, I think, but I'm still not in bad shape. You know, like I, I'm, I'm genetically, I, I don't think I ever gave myself enough credit for that. Like genetically that I was pretty gifted, you know, like I, I think my, my sister struggled with weight a little bit, you know, like it, it was just something that didn't come natural to her. And, and even my brother to an extent. So, and, and my mom and dad weren't necessarily ripped, but for, for whatever reason, I just, from the, you know, from a young age, I couldn't eat enough. Like I just felt like my metabolism was always going at a hundred miles an hour and I just could eat and eat and eat. And, uh, and I was just ripped and, and people hated me. You know, they, they just did. I mean, I, I would swim, you know, a 1500, that would be my workout. People are like, what are you doing? Like, how is this possible that you're so ripped and fit? And, and look, looking back, if I, if I could coach myself, I would coach myself differently, obviously, you know, like, but, um, but at the time, um, I felt like I was doing the right thing and, and I was just always ripped. I don't know why just genetics, man. Uh, genetics anyway it's it's been it's been great it's been it's been real I, I have loved you have been instrumental in in um getting the 2000 men's swim team back together and the, the whatsapp group every day that i look at it i'm, it, I'm always always uh having a laugh yeah sorry about that no it's it's fun you know behind the scenes we've got a, we've got a whatsapp group with the 200 with it with the 2000 olympic men's team and it's fun to to be in contact again because it was just a period of time where i just hadn't had any contact so it's nice to talk to you guys again even though it's a little bit of fun on there but um yeah and then just picking them off slowly i'm going to try and get through the whole the whole group you know just to talk i don't care if anyone watches i just want to talk to my friends so <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome so listen i know we've tried to do this a few few times and you've been super busy so i appreciate it just to finish off what what are you doing right now like what are you doing for work well that's slightly alarming um if i work for the australian olympic committee mm-hmm. um olympian services manager clearly you're not on the email list being an olympian so you no. don't get anything you don't Thank get you. anything from me that's, yeah. no so um yeah so essentially looking after the alumni and also the the well-being and, and trans space for for olympians so okay it's been great um you know it's been challenging for us as a staff this year so i I can't even imagine what athletes coaches and Mm. support staff must be feeling at this point in time um you know hopefully hopefully things will will be right for you know August next year. Yeah, well, I think as, as most athletes, we're always pretty optimistic. We're always just look on the bright side. That's that's what made us successful. It's like we always find the good in something. You, you know, and that's how you move forward. There's like there's disappointment for sure, but you you don't let disappointment break you to the point of um, giving up. We've just never given up, and, and and I think that's what I've noticed the most with athletes and coaches is that it's okay. Or these are the challenges. 
we're not doing what we want to do, but we'll figure out something, you know, and, and yeah. it'll, it'll change in the future. So that's where it's at. So um, I'll have to give you my email to get on that list. So, um, mate, listen, this has been awesome. I love it. I'm glad we got together finally. And uh, thank you for your insights. I think it's been really powerful today. So I, I appreciate it. No, thank you for the opportunity, mate. All right, mate. Take care. Eh? Bye. Bye.